The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org. Come let us worship our King. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Come let us worship our King. Come let us bow at His feet. He has done great.
I've been camped out in James chapter 1 and just a few verses. Um, I've been here for probably about a month. I've just been sitting on these verses and um, it brought this beautiful picture. Uh, and so I'm going to share this that I've been camped out at uh, for a while. And um, so here we go. Um, so verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. So. Um, that's a footnote for you. Uh, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that's uh, such an encouragement um, to count trials as joy, because we have trials daily, and some of those are temptations. The word trial, when I looked it up in commentaries and, and other things, um, trials is temptations or um, coming across people that bring difficulty into our lives. And, um, and so we all deal with that on a daily basis. Um, but it brought this beautiful picture um, when I thought of the word trial. It brought a specific trial to mind. Um, and so I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 13, or 23, sorry. Um, a specific trial. 
Jesus goes before Pilate. Um, and so I'm not going to read a bunch of it, but Jesus is um, before Pilate. And in uh, verse, verses 18 through 25, I'm going to summarize it. He's standing before Pilate. And Pilate isn't really wanting to crucify him because he feels like Jesus is innocent. So he's got this murderer in Jesus. And he's like, you can have Barabbas or Jesus who seems to be innocent. And he said, this guy's a murderer. Or you can have this innocent man. And because Jesus is saying he's the king of the Jews and has come to save everyone. And Jesus is looking out into the crowd all these people that he's come to save, you can think that he's counting it all joy. He's come to do what he's, he said that he's going to do. And I had this beautiful picture that he's probably looking out at all these people that are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He's like, this is what I've come to do. And he's counting it all joy. And so Pilate goes and washes his hands and says, I'm clean. And so then he's led away with two other criminals. And at the crucifixion, verses 26 through 43, he's led away with two criminals by a multitude. And as he's being led away, he's being spit on and hit, and he's carrying his cross, the crossbar, with Simon. And uh, then he's hanging with the criminals, and one criminal has probably seen all of this happen and Jesus maybe in pain might be looking into people's eyes with joy saying I'm doing this for you and after all of this this criminal hanging on one side of him is badgering him like if you're the son of God why don't you just save yourself and the other one says do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnations? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I think that's such an amazing thing. That after seeing all that Jesus had done in that moment, counting it all joy after this trial, he got a last-minute salvation. What an incredible thing that our actions on this earth might, like when we're counting it joy during trials, we might save someone by imitating Jesus on this earth. So I want to challenge you uh, that in trial, count it all joy. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that we can count it all joy, that you bore it all on the cross, Lord. May in this moment we remember that what you've done for us is more than we could ever repay, but we could be imitators of you, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll see the grace that he giveth and giveth and giveth again. It's called bedtime procrastination. And any parent of littles have probably gone through this. You know what I'm talking about? Ma, I don't want to go to bed. Ma, I'm thirsty. Ma, Dad, we, there's a monster under my bed. Yeah, anything we can do to put it off, right? To realize that adults suffer from this. A Notre Dame study said that 63% of adults do this. They put off bedtime because of other activities. Anybody? Uh, work to do, finishing up things, housework. Once I get the kids down, maybe I could actually do something. But, but this survey said something else that was interesting. 39% of all adults, that's two out of every five, 39% of adults spend the last few minutes of the day Doing this, worrying. Anybody? Oh, yeah? Okay. We're replaying mistakes. We're uh, wondering about missed opportunities. 
we're making a list of all the things I didn't get done today so that I could do them tomorrow because I didn't finish the list that I'd made the day before, anybody? Leo Buscaglia once said, Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. We're in this series called Songs for the Journey. A look at the Psalms of Ascents, number 120 through 134. Today's is called A Whole Lot of Love. And we're going to look at two psalms that have basically one theme, that our hope and our peace come from being in the presence of God who has a whole lot of love. The Israelites, if you weren't with us last week, if this is your first time, if you're just tuning in, last week we kind of laid the groundwork and did the history of this. If you want to go back and understand a little bit more about this. But every year, three times a year, the Israelites were challenged to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Twice in the spring, once in the fall, the Feast of Tabernacles. And Feast of Tabernacles on the Roman Jew- the Jewish calendar starts today. We are celebrating. This is something they would be doing even today. And uh, it starts on October the 9th of this year. So these are not necessarily sequential psalms. They can be done in order, but they don't have to be. They're usually very short. Now, some of us might look at it and say it's poetry. It doesn't apply to me. It does. There is a lot of poetic challenge here to our journey into the presence of God. And that song there, set your face to Zion and see all the things God has in store for us. These all have powerful messages. And like I said, we're going to look at two of them. We're going to start in Psalm 120, and then we're going to do 126. And we're going to do them, as we said last week, we're going to try to do this every time. You're not required to that if you want to, want to. But in the synagogues, when the scriptures were brought out, when the scrolls were brought out, everyone stood and they were scrolls were read out loud. And after they finished, then they sat down and they discussed it. But I'm going to invite you, if you're able and willing, if you'd stand as we read Psalm 120 and 126. I'm going to do them back to back so you don't have to do aerobics during church, you know, up and down. You just kind of, this way we can read it. You can settle in for your nap for the next 20 minutes and then you're all good. All right, here we go. Psalm 120, if you're joining us online or on the radio, welcome. I'm reading from the uh, uh, Holman Christian Standard Version today. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Lord, rescue me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. What will he give you, and what will he do to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with burning charcoal. What misery that I have stayed in Meshach, and that I have lived among the tents of Kedar. I have dwelt too long with those who I have dwelt too long with those who hate peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. Now jump over or scroll down to number 126. 126 is called Zion's Restoration. It is one of the songs of ascent. Here we go in verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who, who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter, then and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for us. We were joyful. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like water courses in the negative. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Those, though the one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. And the body said, Amen. Amen. So be it. Thank you. And have a seat as we look at Psalm 100. 20 and 126. Go back to 120. And this seems like such an odd place to start. An odd psalm with which to start a big journey. It it seems weird because he starts off, if this truly is sequential, and this is the very first one, as we said on the southern steps, there are 15 steps And Orthodox Jews will come in and on the first step they will say the first one, they will chant it, sing it, and then they will move to the second one and move to the next one. If this is really the first one, he starts it out, in my distress I called to the Lord. Shouldn't you start a big trip happy? Doesn't that that make sense? We're going on vacation. Hey, we're going to Disneyland. We're going wherever it is we're going. This is going to be fun. We should be happy. 
This doesn't sound like a great way to start a journey. Let me ask you this. Shouldn't you go to sleep happy? Shouldn't you? Shouldn't, shouldn't we want to go to finish our day happy? I mean, I don't know about y'all, but as soon as I leave my pillow, I'm looking at it. Farewell, dear friend. I hope to be back with you in, in just a few minutes. You know, I, anybody? I mean, I, I can't wait to get back to that thing. Every day is how many minutes till we get back. We should be happy to be in bed, yet so many of us are worrying. So many of us are starting and ending our journey of the day in worry. So why start a journey with this one? Maybe, maybe verse 1 should set the table for any journey. I took my troubles to the Lord. Question, when you're troubled, where do you go for answers? You might be sitting there, Don, haven't we talked about this before? Yeah, <laughs> and we're going to keep talking about it. Where do we go when, when we're stressed out, when we don't have any answers, when, it's, when we're overwhelmed? Where do we go? What distresses you and how do you handle it? He even talks about, what the, the writer even tells, what is bothering him? It's, it's people talking trash about him. Look there in verse 1, or two, excuse me, in verse 2. Rescue me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Hurtful words are what's keeping him awake. Sticks and stones may break my bones. That's a bunch of junk, right? We all know that. Words hurt. Have you ever been slandered? Anybody? You ever had somebody say something nice about you? Now, on the playground, we'll get kids together and, well, you know, hey, you say you're sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't really mean it. It, it doesn't really matter if they meant it or not. It hurt, didn't it? It hurts that way as adults, too, doesn't it? Hurtful words can, can send us down bad directions. So how do we deal with hurtful words? How do you deal when somebody is talking trash about you? Look on. The psalmist says and teaches us, take it to the Lord and let Him handle it. We live in a get-even society. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, we studied this in the Romans 12 series called Authentic about we need to let God handle revenge. We want to get even, but it's really just an escalation. Really, we live in a get-even society, but God's telling us to get low. If you really want to handle it, get low. Listen to this in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. But Don, you don't understand what they said about me. You're right, I don't. But God has given us a method of how to deal with hurtful words and conflict. In Matthew 18, we need to be Matthew 18 type of people. Matthew 18, if you go there and you look at it, gives you the step-by-step instructions on how to deal with conflict. You go to that person. If that doesn't work, you go with another person. If that doesn't work, you go with the elders. If that doesn't work, you come before the elders. And then you have nothing to do with them. So there's really five steps there. And how often do we really do that? We... We might send them a tacky email or, or a, a rude text or, we'll, or maybe we just get on social media and blast them or, or, or we talk to our friends about, can you believe them? I mean, I always, uh, uh, you know, and, and none of that is biblical. He says if you really want to deal with people and you're going to have conflict and you're going to have hurtful words, go to them. Don't text them. Don't email them. Call them. Say, hey, let's get a cup of coffee. Let's talk face-to-face. And let's talk it out. Does that make sense? That's plain, That's as clear as day in Scripture. He says, go to them, but go to God first. He will protect you. He will go before you if you will follow His methodology. Hallelujah, great defender. We just declared that. It's so much better your way. And hearing you guys sing a cappella, it is well in my soul. Wow, that just sent chills. Anybody? It was amazing. But if it's really well with my soul, should I not be doing it His way? See, the Scripture gives us clear plans for those things, but we've got to be in them. And I want you to take note of something else. 
here for your journey. The environment that you are in matters. Look down verse 5, 6, and 7. You're going to see a couple of towns that you don't know what they are, a couple of names. I don't know what they were. If you know what they are, great. You're a much better student of the Word than I am. Meshach is actually a town. It shows up in Genesis 10. It's the place where Japheth, who is the son of of Noah, right after the flood, where Japheth's people went. He took his clan and went that way. And Meshach is... In the calendar, or in the, the atlas, it is north. It is in Central Asia. I didn't know where it was, but according to some of the, the research, it said that at the biblical time that this was probably written, it was probably as far north as people usually went. I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but that's just about as far as they would go. Kedar is similar. It is in the south. It is actually in northern Africa. And so it's, at that time, about as far south as it would go. Neither one of those places is anywhere near Jerusalem, true? And all of these psalms are being sang as we go back to Jerusalem. But there was something interesting about these places. Both of these places were very pagan, and they were filled with barbarians and hoodlums. It It was the wild, wild west, okay? It was people where God would not be celebrated and not worked. They're a long way from Jerusalem. And he says he's been in both places. And he's saying, they hate peace. And it affects me. Did you hear that? That the things around you can affect you. Does does drama chase you? Okay, now um, let let me go a different direction. Do you know somebody that seems to always be living drama to drama? Okay, now most of you got somebody in your head right now. Now if it's if you don't, maybe it's you, okay? Maybe you need to be listening to this. I don't know. You know these people, they just live from disaster to disaster, you know what I'm saying? That and it just seems like everything is going wrong, always going wrong. Are there queen bees and wannabes around you? Uh biblical you know, a good reference there, book reference there. Prince, get yourself to a place where those don't affect you. He says, I've lived in Meshach and I've lived in Kedar. I've lived where there's drama. I've lived where there's hate. I've lived where there's anger. I don't want to live there anymore. Those people want war. Get away from them. Our young people. How much do any of us grown-ups want to grab our young people and say, please pick your friends wisely? True? Because we've all been burned by them, right? Pick your friends wisely. When you surround yourself with their drama, it can swallow you. So get yourself to a place where God can speak peace into your heart. And I want you to note that this psalm doesn't really end on a happy note. It just kind of ends. Now, I believe that God answers the psalmist's prayer not by changing his circumstances, but by changing his perspective, by, by getting a view of what's going on. See, The writer is anticipating justice. Look back to verse 3 and 4. In verse 3 and 4, he says, What will he give you? What will he do to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with burning charcoal. He's saying that God will fight for me. He will shoot you with burning arrows, flaming arrows. I mean, charcoal, flame. That's what he's saying. God will defend me. He believes justice is going to happen. He's seeking peace. He's pursuing peace. I am for peace, he says in verse 7. They all want war. It, you may be in a tough situation right now. And you may think everybody's talking and everybody's griping and everybody's, want, you know, and everybody, everybody's out to get you. Your personal circumstances do not equate with how God feels about you. Some people look at my situation, it's bad, everything's bad, finances are bad, relationships bad, nothing's going right, God must hate me. No. There are bad seasons, and God is there with you even in bad seasons. The video said, set your eyes to Zion and see all that God has set up for us. If we're going to do that, if we're going to make this pilgrimage together, we've got to get our eyes off of this. All right, eyes. How many times are our eyes on ourself, on what we're dealing with, on our issues and our drama? Set my eyes to Zion. Set my eyes to the presence of God 
and look past our situation. This psalm ultimately points to Jesus. Just what Dennis was sharing today, that Christ was slandered, he was mocked, everybody was making fun of him, and rather than revenge, he gave himself up for us. He counted it joy. He saw the end, eternity, was more important than the now, the cross. In fact, verses even say that, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The cross is freedom from the prison of revenge. The cross enables us to offer peace, to be a people that loves peace. The cross empowers us to endure when we are in Meshach or in Kedar. Are you hearing me? When we're in tough situations, we have the cross to endure. In 1996, a photographer named Charles, uh, Charles O'Rear was, excuse me, he was driving through Napa Valley in California. He was just driving one day and he looked out his window and he said, man, that's a pretty vista. I think I, I should take, uh, you know, it was green hillside. There's some wildflowers, pretty blue sky with some wispy clouds. He did what any good photographer would do. He pulled off the side of the road, got his camera stuff out of the trunk, started taking pictures. But I doubt he, he knew at that moment he would take the picture that has been viewed more than any photo in the history of all time. And you're going, how do you know that? Let's show the picture. Now, some of you that are over on the good side of Apple, you don't know what this is, all right? Uh, you're looking at this going, I don't think that's the most viewed photo in the history of mankind. In 1997, a little company named Microsoft bought that picture. They called it Bliss and made it the home page or the home screen for Windows XP, which went out all over the world. Has been, and Guinness Book of World Records actually certified that, but they have no way to measure it is multiple billions of times viewed. I doubt that's the picture he had in mind. I doubt that's what he was trying to do. He's just like, hey, there's a pretty scene. And, and the reason I share that is because the Psalms, where they may be poetry, they are beautiful pictures. They are pictures of God's presence. And I want you to see these and I want you to soak in these. Go with me to Psalm 126. Jump down there. It's two short sections. It's really laid out very well. There's six verses. The first three is section one, and he's talking about how, what God has done for us. He's looking backwards. And the, the section two is four, five, and six. It's what God is going to do. And I think the picture he has given us right there is that true peace is going to come it's going to be fueled by a, a look back at what God has done and an anticipation of what He is going to do. That is the whole premise of singing this as we march up to Jerusalem. We're declaring, hey, when God came through, look at all of what He's done. I can't wait to see what He's going to do. And he said, and I mean, they start the, that 126 off. When God came through, we rejoiced. And I look at that and go, that's great. What about when it didn't work out the way we wanted? You hear me? I didn't say God didn't come through. I said when it didn't work out the way we wanted on the time we wanted. Are we going to rejoice? We've been studying in our Wednesdays in the Word, First, 2 first, Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, I think it may be the hardest verse in all of Scripture. It's two words. And it just, Paul just says, rejoice always. That may be one of the hardest verses, you hear me? That can we rejoice, can we count it all joy in every situation? Because that's what he's challenging us to do. Friends, I believe, and I've said this multiple times, the more you see God, the more you'll see God. I know it sounds dumb, but listen to it. The more I see what God is doing, the more I set my eyes to Zion, the more I'm seeing his greatness, the more I'm going to see him. In this version of 126, both sections start with the word, or uh, use the word fortunes in there. Fortunes, in verse 1 it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. And then in verse 4, it says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. Now, a lot of us want to make this about money and about, you know, rich and fame and the American dream. It's not really that. According to the, the Hebrew here, what that really translates better as 
presence. Restore your presence to us. Restore our, your presence, Lord, like water courses in the negative. When the Lord restored the presence of God in Zion, He's saying, if you want peace, if you want happiness, it's not going to be in riches, it's going to be in His presence. It's how much more am I going to search after and chase after the heart of God and the mind of God. And when you do that, He will give you the desires of your heart. But it's got to be in chasing His mind. You see, what He's saying in this verse, is, in, the, in verse 4, 5, and 6, is our God brings refreshing. Look at it in verse 4. I said, like water courses in the Negev. Negev is dry and ugly. And like water free-flowing in there. Your presence changes everything from debilitating drought to overflowing rivers. Now, that is a whole lot of love. And we need to celebrate that. And we need to focus on that. But I want to speak specifically to some of you. Are you kind of dry and worn out today? There are some, maybe it's somebody online, maybe it's somebody in here that life has just worn you down. You're dry, you're cracked, you feel like you're sowing in dust bowls, you're not seeing a crop. Hear me and hear me good. Dryness does not last forever. Hear that? A dry season is just that, a season. Now, maybe you're in here and things are flowing great, and I'm, I'm thrilled for you, but some are dealing with funerals. Have you either got one coming up or have dealt with one recently? Some are dealing with chronic pain. We have friends here that deal with stuff that it's every day. It's not just a cold. It's fibromyalgia. It's, it's lupus. It's some of those things that you, just, you deal with every day and you just get worn out and you get dried out. Friends, just because you're in a dry season doesn't mean He doesn't love you. It doesn't change. Our personal circumstances do not equate to how He feels about us. But there's one phrase that bugged me out of all of these. It's in verse 5, and he says this. Of 126, in verse 5, he says, Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Now, i got to understand tell you, I didn't understand that. And I spent some time looking. Now, I could fake it, and I could preacher it up, and I, you know, I could come up with some stuff that make it sound pretty. But it just really confused me. So I spent some time looking and reading and, and digging, and it didn't make any sense until I stumbled on a sermon that was by a, an African missionary, a guy named Delbert Tarr, who served 14 years in West Africa. Now, I, I wanted to tell this story really passionately, and I just, the more I read it, it just comes better from him. So would you, would you bear with me as I just share? I just want to read his words to you for just a few minutes. This is Delbert Tarr's sermon. He said, I was perplexed. I was always perplexed by Psalm 126 until I went to the Sahel. The Sahel is a vast stretch of savanna. It's more than 4,000 miles wide, just south of the Sahara Desert. In the Sahel, all the moisture comes in a four-month period, May, June, July, and August. After that, not a drop of rain falls for eight months. The ground cracks from dryness. And so do your hands and feet. The winds of the Sahara pick up the dust, throw it thousands of feet in the air. It comes slowly drifting across West Africa as a fine grit. The year's food, of course, must all be grown in those four months. And most people grow sorghum or milo in small fields. Then October and November, those are the beautiful months. The granaries are full, the harvest has come, people sing and dance, they eat two meals a day. The sorghum is ground between two stones to make flour and then a mush that has the consistency of cream of wheat. The sticky mush is eaten hot, they roll it into, the ball, into little balls in their fingers and they dip it in sauces and then pop it in their mouths. The meal lies heavy on their stomachs so they can sleep. December comes, and the granaries start to recede. Many families start to omit the morning meal, certainly by January. Not one family in 50 is still eating two meals a day. 
By February, the evening meal diminishes. The meal shrinks even more during March, and, and children begin to succumb to sickness. You can't stay well on half a meal a day. And then he says this, April is the month that haunts my memory. In it, you hear the babies crying in the twilight, knowing they're just hungry. Most of the days are passed with only an evening cup of what we would call gruel. Then inevitably, it happens. A six or seven-year-old boy comes running to his father one day, and he is so excited. Daddy, Daddy, we've got grain. And the dad says, son, you know we haven't had grain for weeks what are you talking about? He says, yes, we do, Daddy. We have grain. Out in the hut where the, they keep the goats, there's a leather sack that's hanging up on the wall. I reached in. I put my hand down, and there, there's grain in there, Daddy. There's grain. Get it, give it to Mommy, and she can grind it up, and, and we can eat. And tonight our, our tummies will be full, and we'll sleep well. And the dad stands there motionless. Son... We can't do that, he softly explains. That's next year's seed grain. It's the only thing between us and starvation. We're waiting for the rains, and then we must use it. The rains finally arrive in May, and when they do, the young boy watches as his father takes the sack from the wall and does the most unreasonable, unimaginable thing. Instead of feeding his desperately weakened and, and very hungry family, he goes to the field and with tears streaming down his face, he takes that precious seed and throws it away. He throws it in the dirt. Why? Because he believes in the harvest. Friends, the seed is his own. He can do with it whatever he wants. How painful as a dad would that to be to look at this and say, here is my dying hungry child. I could give him this and give him another day. But I'm going to hold it back because I want to give him many years. The act of sowing hurts so much that he cries. Maybe, maybe he's reminded that this is God's law of the harvest. That if you're not willing to sow in times of struggle, that you're not going to reap in times of joy. Now hear me, I'm not talking about tithing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about will you pour into God when it doesn't make sense? Will you trust God when trusting God seems to be the last thing on earth? Nothing makes sense. Will you put him first? Will you trust me? You see, that's, that's setting my face to Zion. The journey is long. And he has called us to get our eyes where they need to be. That we're going through this journey of life. Like we said last week, not a many of us are going to walk all the way to Jerusalem this week. I doubt very seriously. But we are going to walk through life, aren't we? And somebody's going to deal with pain, and somebody's going to deal with financial, and somebody's going to deal with funeral, and somebody's going to be a phone call from their knees. The oceans may rise, though I may be in the valley of the shadow of death, nothing can change what you said, God. What he is telling us is that peace and hope don't come from having a bunch of money and all of my situation works out just fine. You hearing me? All of my circumstances are great. No, he's saying my hope, my peace, my joy is going to come by being in his presence. And that, my friends, is a whole lot of love. Let's pray. Though my life may be troubled, God, nothing can change what you said. You will not leave us. You have not abandoned us, even if it's dry. Father, I'm praying for hearts that are hurting today. There's somebody here that, that needs your 
encouragement, your touch. So, Father, lift them up. There's people watching. There's people listening that are not sure what the next steps are in their, in their life. Father, I'm praying that they will put their trust in you to get your presence in their life, that they will see you more. Because what you said is true. Our hope and our peace is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.